Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this day of of light, Lord God, this day of hope and yet this day of sorrow, this day of tragedy, this day of injustice, Lord God. We thank you for picking up that cross and carrying it on our behalf, Lord. And we pray that us, Lord, the people who crucified you, Lord, that you would speak to us today. That you would speak your words of redemption, your words of peace, your words of mercy and grace. Lord, and set us free from our bondage to sin and death. Lord God, we pray that you would speak, that you would work and that you would move in our lives and in our hearts and that you would reveal yourself to us today. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Morning. It's so splendid to see you all today. Um, now, last night I was sitting in bed reading Nancy Drew with my two youngest daughters. So here we are. Anyone ever read Nancy Drew before? Yeah, great stories, huh? Real page turners. So we were um, reading, uh, it was the, the, what is the story of the, the something for the old clock, the search for the old clock or something like that. And Nancy in the story uh, was trying to find a will, a lost will that um, she thought would provide for these families, these very needy families and descendants of this one guy named Josiah Crowley who had left, she thought, money in his will for them. There was another will which left everything to a very mean and angry family in town. And so Nancy was trying to figure out how to find another copy of the will, one that actually was uh, beneficial to everyone else. And so as Nancy was doing, she was looking for clues, right? And things were falling together quite nicely for Nancy. She happened to be at the right places at the right time and hear the right conversations until she went out to the vacation home of a family out on the shore of the lake, Moon Lake. And there she saw that a moving truck had been there recently. There were tracks in the mud in the driveway and the front door was open. So she thought, oh, I wonder why they've been moving. I have no idea. And so she goes inside to look for the old clock. Right? But it turns out that the movers were not movers, they were robbers. robbers. That's right, you all are sharp. Right? You probably wouldn't have gone in that house. Uh, but Nancy goes in there, and she sees that almost everything is gone from the house. And as she's looking around and making her examination, who comes back? The robbers. That's right, the robbers come back. Nancy tries to hide in a closet to get away. And the robbers are about to leave, but in that musty, old, dusty closet, Nancy just cannot hold back. Sneeze. Sneeze. That's right, you got it right. And just as the last robber is leaving the room, Nancy... (gasps) Sneezes. And the robber turns quickly. Runs over to the closet, opens the door, and seizes Nancy. She's trapped. Trapped. Now, these are like the nicest robbers ever because they just lock her in the closet, which is good, right? They realized the error of their ways and didn't want to commit another crime, and so they just lock her in the closet to give themselves some time to get away. 
So there's Nancy locked in the closet. Now, as we're reading this, it keeps getting later and later at night, and I know I've got an early morning. I need to be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. I need my beauty rest for church on Sunday. And so I tell the girls, okay, we're going to have to end right here. Right here. Nancy, locked in a closet, stuck. Stuck in a vacation home which people won't be back to for maybe months because it's so early in the season. Nancy's worried she's going to starve to death in that closet. Stuck. And that's how the story stopped. Now, stories typically have a very reassuring arc, don't they? Right? Like a Nancy Drew story. You're presented with the character, the the heroine. You develop her character a little bit. And then there's a challenge that's presented, right? So the story kind of dips into this this, uh, danger or tragedy or confusion or discord. But what do we hope for at the end of a Nancy Drew? Happy ever after, right? Nancy's going to solve this mystery. You know, looking at the book, when you're two-thirds of the way through and Nancy's stuck in a closet, what's probably going to happen? She's probably going to get out, right? The rest is probably not a eulogy to Nancy. (laughs) Right? It's probably not what's in Nancy's will. No. The rest is probably good. And that's how we like stories to go, because it's reassuring when we end with some type of Wrapping things up in a positive way, all things worked out in the end for the heroine. We like stories like that. They're satisfying. right? We like the light to shine after the darkness. We like the sun to rise on a new day. But here on Palm Sunday, we don't get that, do we? Here on Palm Sunday, we start out exciting. We start out with our hero riding into town as a victor. And we end in death and despair. Now, please suspend your understanding of what happens in the following chapters of Mark, okay? If you could just leave your understanding there uh, of what's going to happen with Jesus after his burial, that would be great because Palm Sunday leaves us there. It just gives us this snippet, the snippet of the life of Christ. And I want us to allow ourselves to look at this and feel this moment of tragedy and despair without the hope of Easter there on the horizon. Let's be like his disciples, like his followers, like his mother, like his friends who were there with Jesus. And when he died, they didn't know what was going to happen. So Jesus is here at the end of his earthly mission. He has taught, he's healed, he has discipled, he has fed, he has delivered, he has saved. He has caused the blind to see and the lame to leap. He has come and transformed the world. And he has poured his life into this world. And he's developed huge crowds of people who are following him. Our service today began at the apex of that following as Jesus Christ is ushered into Jerusalem like a conquering king. Palms and cloaks are laid on the ground in front of him and people are prepared for him to continue this sweep to power. 
They're prepared for him to take up the throne of David, to be a king like David, a deliverer, someone who will take away the oppression of the Romans and set them free. They are ready for this. Then we skip over four chapters of narrative, which talks about what Jesus does in between his triumphal entry and his trial. We skip over that whole section and we are brought into the court of Pilate, court of Pilate. In our gospel gospel passage from Mark 15, we have the chief priests, the elders, the scribes, and the council consulting together and handing over Jesus to the Romans. This is a big deal, my friends. This is a big deal for the leaders of the Jewish people to hand over someone to the Romans. Because who are the Romans? The conquerors, right? They're the ones who oppress them. They're the ones who are um, putting up pagan temples in their land. They're the ones who you have to pay, worst of all, worst taxes to. Right? Which we're all mindful this time of year. Right? They are the ones who are oppressors of them. And yet here we see Jesus' own people hand over him to them. God bless you. Pilate asks Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? To this, this is the question everyone wants to know. They all want to know his answer. I mean, he's ridden into Jerusalem like a king coming in peace on a donkey. People have laid down their cloaks and palm branches. This is all a part of kingliness, right? All the signs pointing to a throne. He must be the king. But Jesus doesn't respond clearly to this question. He doesn't give a definitive answer. And I find that deeply unsettling. I wish that he was more, there was more clarity in this interrogation. That Jesus, like he had with the high priests earlier, chief priests earlier, where he was much more clear. I wish he was more clear now with Pilate. But the chief priests keep hurling accusations at him. To which he gives no reply. Now, I know he's filling scripture in not defending himself. I know he's fulfilling Isaiah 53, 7, like a lamb before a shearer is a silent, so he as well was. But it would make my sermon writing so much easier if he was a little less opaque, wouldn't it? Apparently, his mission is not to make my life always easier, though. Right? He has his own reasons for being opaque. Now, by this time, the crowd has totally turned against him. Jesus just hasn't been who they wanted him to be. He hasn't been who they expected him to be. He hasn't been who they hoped he would be. He's been in Jerusalem for a week after his triumphal entry. And no one's been overthrown except the money changers in the temple. All the Romans are going about their normal Romany things. Nothing has changed. Jesus has had all this week to change things. And nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. So like a pack of wolves, his own people turn against him. And they cry out again and again, crucify him. Because Jesus is a sign of their failed hopes and they want that memory of their failure erased. 
Now, Pilate, he fails to show resolve and he fails to stand for justice. And he allows the will of the people to be carried out, even if it means the death of an innocent man. He hands him over and Jesus is beaten. He is mocked and he is crucified. And as people pass by our Lord nailed on a cross, they say, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. And the chief priests and the scribes as well, they say, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down from the cross now so that we may see and believe. Even Jesus calls out to heaven for deliverance, and there is silence. All seems lost. Things cannot possibly get any worse. And then Jesus dies. He dies. The hope of the world. The king of the Jews. The Messiah. He dies. He dies surrounded by criminals and mockers. He dies with people doubting his mission. Doubting his identity. Doubting his plan. He dies. Then this tragic story presents two interesting elements to us, which we don't know really what to do with at this point. First of all, the curtain in the temple is rent in two. The curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple is ripped apart from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. The people there standing around the crucifixion wouldn't have known this was happening. The temple was far enough away, you certainly couldn't see that happen. And it was inside the building, and so it would not have been visible. To them, they just lost Jesus, their friend, their Messiah, their rabbi, their God. So we don't know what the people thought about that ripping of the temple, what it would mean for them and for the world. And then we have the voice of one witness, the voice of a person who signified the power and control of Rome. And a glimmer of hope enters the narrative through his statement that maybe not all is lost. The passage says, Now when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was God's son. But even this glimmer of hope is stuck in the past. Right? Truly, this man was God's son. But he's dead now. So what does that matter? Now you and I, we live in a world where we understand all things in light of Easter. But here on Palm Sunday, we're left with uncertainty. What would the result of Jesus' death be? What was the significance of the torn veil in the temple? Was this the end of the story? For his family, his friends, and his disciples, there was so much uncertainty on that day. So much that they didn't understand. All they knew was that their friend 
and Savior had died. Now we all came here with our lives telling a story. Right? What is the story of our lives? What is the story of our, our circumstances and our response to challenges? What is our story? What is that narrative that guides our life and leads us? Is it a story of hope or a story of sorrow? Like our readings today, we might find ourselves today in a place of great uncertainty. Maybe looking into the face of death, the face of loss. Maybe just unsure exactly what the meaning of events that are happening in our life right now, what their significance will be. Maybe we just don't know. Jesus Christ, the one who lived the most tragic story ever, is able to take our stories of pain and loss and to turn them into life, to turn them into stories of hope and redemption. That is what it is to have a savior. It's to have someone who can change the story, can change the future of our lives. Now, last night when I closed the book on Nancy Drew, do you think my girls let me keep it closed? No, that was a revolution, right? And they said, no, no, we have to read one more chapter. And we did. We read the next chapter. And what happened to Nancy in the next chapter? She got out of the closet, right? She was escaping herself. She had found a way. She had ripped off a, 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 um, a rod, a hanging rod in the closet and was using it to pry the door open. And then the caretaker came back and set her free. She was delivered. Life turned around for Nancy. There was hope. There was light. There was freedom in her life. In the same way, I don't want to keep you waiting for the rest of this story about Jesus. But I also don't want to spoil the story. So suffice it to say that things end up very well for us in the story of Jesus. Right? There is life after death. There is hope even at the mouth of the grave. There is freedom, there is deliverance, and there is peace. Things end very well for us and for Jesus Christ. But if you want to hear the rest of the story and all the implications of what the rest of the story means for us, well, then you'll have to come back next week <laughs> for Easter. And I encourage you and challenge you to bring your friends along too so that they can hear the hope of Jesus Christ and his victory over death. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you. Thank you for being the deliverer of us, Lord. But thank you also that you didn't choose a way that just made you, that just was from glory to glory, Lord. You chose a path of suffering. You chose a path of difficulty and pain and alienation, and loneliness, and fear. You chose that path for us. Lord, we know that path. That's the path we tread upon daily, Lord. And we ask that you would speak into our stories, that you would speak into uh, the difficulties, the challenges, the darkness, the emptiness of life, Lord God, and that you would speak your peace into our hearts, Lord God, 
So often we're confused and disoriented, unsure of what the meaning of, of the things that are happening around us is or the significance is. Lord God, we ask for resurrection in our lives, for redemption, that you, Lord God, would write a new narrative, a narrative of hope and peace. Thank you, Lord God, that you promise to cause all things to be for our benefit, Lord, in our lives. And we commit ourselves to you now and ask for your peace and your mercy and your salvation to be present in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.